Welcome back everyone to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right, Aspire to Lead listeners, we are off the chain today because we have a guest with us all the way from Canada. And I was thinking that he's actually going to bring some stability to this show, but it's gone off the rails before I even push record. So, Brad Hughes, thank you so much for joining me. But before we begin, this is the 28th Aspire Mailbag with the phenomenal Jeff Gargas. And I am so excited to have him join me once again. Buddy, 28. That sounds like a big number. Yeah, two two things that are really interesting. One is the 28. Did you know... This is crazy how this lined up that Brad Hughes is actually my 28th favorite Canadian. So that's interesting. Um, Fascinating. Also, it was, it was interesting when you said you said like uh, all the way from Canada. And it just reminded me of and Brad. Maybe maybe you know numbers of like where you're at, Brad. I'm pretty sure you're low enough where you're actually lower than like a certain percentage of the United States. So you're like actually like you're like trying to be down here more. That's right. Yeah. It's like a uh, massive percentage of Canadians live actually below like Montana, right? Uh, below the border. Like, because that's of the right. where, that... where I live in southwestern Ontario, uh, Jeff and Josh uh, is online with uh, some parts of northern California. So uh, it's the California of the north right here in uh, beautiful <laughs> Ontario. <laughs> that's one giant lie. Wow. Well, in Minnesota, I, I saw more snow than you typically do in a, in a winter. Yeah, right now we're experiencing what we call false spring. So we have some mm-hmm. above freezing temperatures. Other snow events are inevitable in April in this part of the world. But, uh, you know, false spring will lead to uh, a resurgence of winter. And then uh, true spring will will spring yeah. upon us. I think a lot of people don't realize, Brad, like around this, it's probably more right into May. From May to about September-ish, Ohio and where you're at in like Toronto-ish, Ontario area is like yeah. basically the same weather. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I think false yeah. spring is, I never called it that, but I think that's accurate. Well, where I live, uh, uh, surrounded by the Great Lakes and in the Great Lakes Basin, that impacts the weather and the climate tremendously. Yesterday, I read about uh, something called a pneumonia front, which races its way uh, along Lake Michigan towards the Chicago area, where there mm-hmm. is a huge change in temperature as uh, cold winds and, and lake effect uh, winds sweep towards the Chicagoland area. And uh, it, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the, just the, the changes in climate and the changes in uh, in temperature that can be uh, impacted by the Great Lakes is pretty significant. Well, he went to Michigan to bring negative things. Wow. That one was for Dave Schmidt. That one was that for, one Dave was for Dave, yes, for all the Michigan listeners. That one's specific. <laughs> All right. Are we recording yet? We are recording, sir. Oh, okay, and great. Just for those who have never had a chance to listen to the Aspire Mailbag, I just want to let you know that this is a way for us to answer questions from you, the listener, and we always answer three to five leadership questions. And today we have pulled from Twitter, Instagram, and Boxer, and we're going to be answering three wonderful questions and really I think timely because this is all in regards to the hiring season. So if you gentlemen are ready, I'd love to jump in. Let's do it. All right. So this one actually comes from someone who I just had coffee with. So I think it's really important because I think a lot of folks are going through this right now. And their question was, what are the pros and cons of applying for a leadership role in another district or state? So for those who may be going through the process, if they were maybe denied in past years and are looking potentially to go to another district or another state to get the role that they're seeking. What are the pros and cons for that? My initial thoughts go to the cons. 
because in my mind is going well there might be some different licensing uh things you have to follow right state to state uh obviously like your standards might be different and change and how you have to direct and, and lead your your team uh, there's probably a lot of just like potentially rules regu- regulations and or just culture things that are potentially going to be very different moving to another state which can happen obviously as Josh you know just moving to another district that's not even that far away can be a lot of changes too but i think more on the legislative side like the the licensure and things of that nature i think that's a potential con like that could take some time that could cost some money that could be a pain in the the, the butt whatever so that's something i think really to think about if you're thinking about moving states um, I think on a positive note, I think, you know, there's a there's a fresh start piece that obviously the growth that's probably potentially awaiting for you to because you're going to have to go through all these changes and familiar you with different things. And stuff. So I think there's a positive there. Obviously, there's a con of the move, which, Josh, you know, <laughs> about. So. Right. So, like, there's that. So I, I, I almost want to I feel like I would weigh it more. Definitely. There's more cons. But it really depends on the reason why, right? Like, right. Let's, if you move into another state because you're trying to get closer to family, that's a huge positive. If just the area you're in is just not good for you mentally or your family or your kids mentally, it's the positive then it far outweighs. But I think just kind of thinking through that um, and making sure you've you've thought through all the I – don't, I don't even know if con is the right word, but just the stuff you're going to have to check off and the changes that are going to happen. I think that's where I would be thinking of and, and be focused on. So, What's coming to your mind, Brad? Exactly what Jeff said, Josh. It's, it, you got to be real about the reasons why you're seeking that change. And if they're family related, if they're related to your family's economy, well-being, health, closer to family, closer to aging, whatever the reason is, if you're changing districts because you are running away from something or someone that isn't conducive to your leadership in your district, you have to be honest that those problems may also be there when you arrive uh, for the interview or in a different district. And so if there are aspects of your leadership capacity that need to be addressed, if there are aspects of your growth that need to be addressed, you, you have to be honest about the feedback that you, you've received if that's one of the things that's motivating you to make a change in district or, or state or province. It, each of us is in a process of continual growth, and often the environment will bring out the very best, but sometimes the very worst or the very most you know challenging things we've experienced can be attributed in some ways to the people and the places that we are uh, we are called to serve. So just be real with yourself and, and maybe just get get the insight of of loved ones, the people that know you best uh, and who can give you sort of a sort of a third party perspective on sort of the growth that you need to uh, to be addressing, uh, but also just to get real about the reasons you're seeking the change. And then and then, you know, the, the positive there is if you have if you have an opportunity to reframe those needs and those perspectives and those priorities to a hiring team, uh, there may be a way that you can leverage the growth that you are attempting to achieve along with the move to helping, you know, a hiring team understand why you might be a great fit uh, for the op- for the opportunity. Yeah, and I've done both. So I've moved state to state in regards to teaching. And yeah, I'm with Jeff. There are a lot of steps to jump through all those different hoops to make sure that you're compliant with state standards and licensure and whatnot. And then I've also done the switch districts and someone, when I was having coffee, the conversation was, well, you move districts to move up into your role. And I had to stop them. I'm like, no, that, that may be the perception, but that's not what, what the reality was. Right. So the mental health aspect, the closer to family, being able to leave at lunch and go have lunch with my kids. Like, and I did not move to move up. And in fact, I didn't. No, you made a lateral move, didn't you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was more about my family, my well-being, being in my community, 
that wasn't about moving up. Because if that was about moving up, I wouldn't have made the switch because I had already built relationships. I already had plenty of th things that I was uh, involved in with different committees and trying to move up and going through that process in my district prior. So if that was the case, then I would have stayed where I was. That wasn't to move up. So, I mean, if you're making a lateral move to district, you're, it's, it, you're starting over. You're, you're mm -hmm. having to make a name for yourself. And so that process for me was, I was back to ground zero. So that wasn't about moving up. Now, if you're going to a different district to get a principal job or a district job and you're moving upward, that makes more sense. If you're making a lateral, that that's brilliant. yeah you got it right you're starting on the bottom as far as the if you think about things like the seniority and the political capital and stuff Correct. like that josh when you this sparked a question like when you moved from minnesota to texas the first time that was you were you were our teacher at the time right if i'm no is that I where you were or are you, you an ap yet or were you not even in school yet so i had just got my licensure um okay the, the economy was terrible in minnesota there was very little jobs out there. I was going to have to take. So you moved just for the opportunity that because there was no more opportunity. opportunity. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we had family down here in Texas. So that was a component also, but the economy was so much better here. In fact, when I, when we flew down here, I had nine interviews immediately as soon as I got off the plane where in Minnesota, wow. that wasn't the case. So it was just a very different landscape as far as, mm -hmm. you know, the opportunity. And so I got a job, the same day um it was really really fast it was crazy um and so yeah it changed the trajectory of of our family and, and obviously yeah. we're still here um not for too much longer but you know we've been here for 15 years and you know i've thankfully been able to move up in the ranks over the years but yeah that was because of opportunity not because i initially wanted to move to texas gotcha and it just goes to show brad that they'll literally just hire anyone off the anyone at all anyone at all are you upright uh, do you inhale and exhale? Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's that's it. Those are the two. Those are the two crucial job requirements. Because the, in 2014, Texas passed the uh, Stamper Law, Stamper Act, which was that you literally didn't need qualifications; you just had to show up. But now they're kicking me out. I gotta go to Colorado. <laughs> now they're kicking you out. <laughs> in Colorado, uh, the Stamper Act revised awaits you. Uh, I can't wait. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, boys, you ready for uh, question number two? I think ready. it's important we move on, yes. <laughs> Going downhill quickly. All right, so Bobby French just actually asked this question on the admin mastermind box group and so i wanted to lay it up here because i think it's important she's asking do you bring artifacts to provide at an interview and i have been on the other side of the table where folks have have brought artifacts and some that have not i'm curious what your perspective on this is the first thing that comes to mind for me jeff and josh is bring the artifacts but don't bring them with the intention of using them unless it serves to illustrate or unless it serves to support the interview structure that the superintendent or the hiring team has in mind. Uh, and I've been on both sides too. Uh, I've brought out artifacts to, uh, to teaching interviews, but never to an admin interview before. And I've also sat across the table from applicants that uh, want to expand on their artifacts, but actually haven't uh, successfully demonstrated up to that point yep. that they are uh, fully engaged with the interview process. And, and really, the interview team and the district, they they own that process, and they have uh, the things that they want 
to learn about you through that process. And there are you know, certainly legislative and other you know, procedural things that, that have to be uh, respected and honored. So uh, I'd say by all means, bring the photos, uh, bring the letters, uh, but more importantly, bring yourself, like allow the structure to, you know, leverage the, leverage the structure and the opportunity to let the hiring team know how valuable you will be uh, in that district. And if you have the opportunity to use artifacts, and I would say briefly, and use them in a really discerning fashion to illustrate or to highlight or to punctuate uh, a point that you're making. But I, I would not recommend that candidates bring artifacts with the mindset that I'm not leaving this interview until I've had a chance to go through this photo album or this uh, this reel on my phone with you. Just respect the process and use those artifacts if they would serve in the moment, briefly and discerningly to support what you're saying. What's your uh, ideas off that, Jeff? No, I, I think I agree with that. I think you said it better than I probably would have said it, Was which was the idea of like, go ahead and bring them, but like, don't bring a presentation. And I think the way you said it, Brad, is actually the better way of saying that is don't don't bring them with the intent of necessarily using them or the, even the desire to use them. But bring them if you have them, bring them in case. Right. It's just in case. Right. Now, in any of the hiring that I've done in any of the different industries I've worked in, if I've, I don't even like I don't even look at cover letters or resumes because I just want to have a conversation with the person. I did have someone who showed up with like the this was back when I was in the restaurant industry and it was with like their history of like improving numbers and all that stuff and i'm like great but can i work with you on a day-to-day basis (laughs) like like you're here because you at least have the qualifications on paper that got you through and got you in the door like now it's like do can we actually work together are you going to fit in with this team are you going to bring value as a person to this community that we're in whether that's a a, a building, a district, a community, an organization, whatever. And so I think the way Brad said it is, is accurate. We go bring what you have so that you have it, but don't don't come ready to present. Don't bring in a, a slide deck nope. and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think Brad said it much better than I did. So what was coming to mind, Jeff, is you were is is that so much can be shared and and accessed electronically now. So 10, 15 years ago, we you know candidates wouldn't be able to refer. Uh, an interview team to a personal website uh, where those artifacts, whether it's video, whether it's documents, whether it's photographs, you know, why not post them and make them available to the interview team prior to, and you can refer to that treasure trove of artifacts online during the interview. And as you're wrapping up, you can say, you know, I I hope that I've given you all the information you need. Um, It's essential that you know that you can learn more about me here and you can leave Mm -hmm. them with that too. Because honestly, if if you're a candidate that they want to know about, it's that they want to it's likely that they're going to do their research on you before you even show up at that interview table. Uh, yeah. And so why not post the artifacts electronically and allow the interview team to access it uh, as they need? Yeah, I, I just think, yeah, I, I think 100%, Brad, and the focus needs to be, your focus needs to be on being you and making sure that they feel and they understand you. Because to your point, like, you're probably not sitting there if they haven't at least checked out. Like, they, the artifacts they need, they've already looked at. They're not wasting their time otherwise. And at this that point, they're, you know, not to sound cliche, but they're buying you yep. at that point. And everyone else who walked in that door for that same position, they probably have the same, similar, possibly better artifacts than you. So it's up to you at that point. So. And at the end of each interview, they often give a candidate an opportunity to, to ask or elaborate on anything and circle back. And that's where you can say, is is there anything more that you'd like to know about me? Would you like me to dig deeper on anything further that I've offered? Or uh, is is there evidence of what I've evidence of what I've contributed that you would like to dig deeper 
at this time? Or could I make sure that you have an opportunity? Uh, Josh, I'm wondering what's coming to mind for you about that, about Artifact. Yeah, so actually I was thinking about what Jeff was talking about with the letters. I actually had someone text me yesterday, actually, asking for a letter of recommendation. And, and I texted back. I said, sure, but did the district ask for that? And the response was no. So I was like, well, most districts don't have that as a process anymore. Like when I would get that, I'll be honest, I'm with Jeff. Like I was more interested in the conversation and having them go through the process that we had established than reading a letter that I knew was going to be glowing because why else would they write it? Right. So that wasn't something that I really took value in. So for me, it was like, well, and this is going to sound bad, but I don't want to waste my time doing that process if it's not needed to provide to you. And I think that's just as far as the the process goes, like so much has changed as far as, and maybe that's because we're in a digital age, but you know, I'm with you. If you have the artifact, you bring it with, or you have it digitally, you can always provide that on the spot through an email, providing a link to something. Um, a lot of folks have a lot of things online where they have their portfolio established so that it's just a link that can be shared or maybe it's on their resume. So, I mean, there's other opportunities to be able to provide that information if asked, but I will tell you, I've been in plenty of interviews that it was a turnoff when someone was very forcibly like trying to provide something that they talked about. I felt like I had an understanding of it, but they still wanted to show and extend the interview. And I felt like it made the candidate look worse than if they would have just gone through the interview process. I think as an interviewer at all times, I want candidates to help me and my interview partners. I guess I want them to paint a picture of what life in a school or in a district would be like with them. What, where's the value added? Help, help bring that to life for me. Paint me a picture. Uh, help me to imagine uh, the impact that you would make. Mm-hmm. Sometimes artifacts could support that. But like you said, Josh, sometimes there's a there's sort of a little bit of a dark side in that you're relying on uh, uh, pictures or video or letters to to speak for you. It's essential, I think, as a candidate being interviewed, especially for a leadership or a district position, that that you are prepared to bring your contributions to life for the interview team, leaving them with no doubt about your capacity and your willingness to serve and to learn. And then if they choose to seek some backup, whether it's through photos or videos or what is a recommendation, then they can do that. But as a candidate, that's I think that's crucial is is be prepared to bring your contributions to life. Uh, even imagine yourself in the role and, and leave that interview team with no doubt about your contributions. I'm going to pause for a moment to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Papa Rob's Coffee. This is by far my favorite coffee in the world because it is incredibly fresh and tastes amazing. Head over to paparobscoffee.com to see the many varieties of wonderful medium and dark blends. And when you check out, of course, don't forget to use the code ASPIRE15 to get 15% off your entire order. This is only for Aspire to Lead listeners, so make sure you take advantage of this code. Now, back to the episode. All right, guys, let's go to question number three. This is from our buddy, Alex Valencic. He's asking, what do you think of aspiring leaders applying for positions for which they meet the qualifications? However, they are skipping some traditional steps. So, for example, you are applying for a central office administration position, but you've never served as a building principal or maybe assistant principal. I can jump in and ask again, what's what's the purpose? Uh, what what is the purpose? You know, what, what's your end goal? Are you you know, I wonder if you're looking to explore that opportunity from the perspective of the interview 
process. Uh, I'm wondering if you're looking for uh, feedback, if you're successful or unsuccessful, what's what's the purpose of you doing that? If, if you were a candidate who has, you know, 70, 75, 80% of the skills and qualification necessary, some other things can be taught or learned. Uh, but as well, maybe there is that authenticity that comes along with the experience that simply can't be learned. It has to be embodied before you meet that position. So Jeff, what's coming to mind for you? That's what comes to mind for me is, is what's the purpose of, of skipping those steps? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that that's a great way to put it as the purpose. And, and, and I think some, I think some of this, my answer would depend on the person, their previous experience, the size of the district and the type of roles it is. Right. Cause I think, I think there's a, a very strong case being made and I would agree with it a majority of the time that you're going to be more effective in any kind of leader position, leadership position in a school district if you went up the line because you got the experience of the people that you were then attempting to lead. But in some larger districts, some of the central office roles are just so not connected to the classroom that I don't feel you need to. Is it still a benefit? Probably most of the time, right? Nine out of ten times. But there's some people that are just in a better cut out, better personality, better passions that they have where they just are going to work better in a, in a district office. And I guess my thing is like, like for, I'll use Alex. I don't know if he was talking about himself or just asking a question or not, but like if Alex has all the necessary skills, personality and joy and love for a role that's central office and is not the greatest fit for, let's say a building principal, is it really the best thing for kids to make him be a building principal for a couple of years? It might, it might be the best thing for him. And as a teacher, it might be the best thing for me to know that he's went through there and he knows how to run a building or as a principal, who's going to be led by him. Like I might need it, but like, is it really like if Alex is maybe not going to be the best principal, does it really a good idea to make him like, you know, you got to do three years there and like not lead our building super well so that you can go to this position that we actually feel like you would do really well. And so I think there's a there's a balance there, right? Like I think there's definitely a, val- a, a an advantage to going up through the different positions and getting that experience. I think that's you know a, a great thing to do. But I think it really is so situational, in my opinion. Um, and I think a lot there's a lot to that question. Um, you know, and then I, I think as if you're in a smaller district, the smaller district, in my experience of, of working with districts, the smaller the district, the more connected. Uh, the higher up you go, you're still more connected, if that right. makes sense, right? Because you're playing different roles. You don't have all the different uh, uh, positions and roles because you don't have as many people because you don't have the budget, whatever. So, like, in that case, I think I think the smaller, like, it's even more so because you're so much more connected. Mm-hmm. But in a big district, there's a lot – like, a, a large district, there's a lot of central roles that really – I don't know that the understanding the classroom and understanding the building level is necessarily going to help you do your job as long as you have other people that can inform you of that – and be that vocal um, advocate for those other roles that you have an experience. But I think, so again, I think it's so situational. I think it's, it's tough to say one way or another. Um, a lot of success so. in that. Like for instance, Todd Nassani, he was a teacher and then he was a building principal. He never had to go mm-hmm. through an instructional coach or a dean of students or an assistant principal. He was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I know that some teachers may be like, well, you didn't do those other roles before. How can you be successful as a principal? And I've only worked in really, really large districts, as you both know. There was a professional development coordinator. She had never been an assistant principal. She'd never been a principal. And she didn't get the clout from the administrators to say, oh, 
you can't do your job because you've never been in our role, which is completely unfair because she did a phenomenal job in our role and she had all the qualifications and she did a fantastic job year in and year out. However, behind the scenes, people still were talking about how the fact that, oh, she skipped steps. But to Jeff's point, that doesn't mean she can't do the job. She she didn't need those roles and she didn't need to fill them and potentially be unsuccessful with them or know that she had one foot in and one foot out to get to the role that she was eventually going to get. So why do we feel like we need to have these steps in place if, in fact, she's qualified for that? Well, I think, Josh, what I heard in my head was, how can you tell me how to do my job if you've never done it? Correct. And I think the key pieces are like, well, that's not their job. Nope. So Brad's job as, as a building administrator is not to tell his teachers what to do. It's to play his role in the role of educating students. I think that's so that's a, a huge shift that has to happen all around in general of if one is when you play your role, your job is not to tell the people below you how to do their job. It's to support them in their job by playing whatever role you do. Uh, I know you've heard me say many, many times here that like when I think about the our team, like I, no one works for me. We work together. I don't like tell anyone how to do their job. I offer support when needed or direction as needed or when requested. But like, so I think that's the separation because I think that this, this having to go through steps comes from two different places. One is, is the, well, my principal is telling me what to do, but he or she's never been in my, uh, my room. So how can she, he or she tell me what to do? Well, that's not, that's not how that relationship's supposed to be. And then the other one is, I think because we've, we've drilled it. We talked about this on here before, Josh, that we've drilled it so much into teachers' heads that like you're supposed to go to the next steps. And so it's been, it's been drilled into their head that this is the linear thing. So when someone skips, you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm still trying to get to the next step. Like how can we get the skip? And I think the huge thing that has a shift that has to happen is like, you, you're not supposed to want to go. If you're an amazing teacher and you don't have zero desire to do other stuff, you should be a teacher for life. Like, cause you're good at it. And if you enjoy it, if you want to do that, it should be because you want to do those other jobs. You want the experience, not because you're supposed to, I think it's those two things that get us in this mindset of like, well, you got to go through this, run, the ladder runs and get up there. And it's just not how it's supposed to go. Yeah. I think a lot of stellar teachers are absolutely encouraged to go into school leadership because uh, at least on the surface at that time, it's like, think of the impact you could make on uh, instructional practices on motivation, on relational skills that will ultimately impact a wider variety of kids across a number of uh, across a number of school buildings or districts. That the challenge there is that once you're in that role, your instructional leadership ability to impact and influence instructional improvement and, and really, you know, connection and great opportunities for kids. It, it also comes along with a whole package of, uh, of of administrative and supervisory tasks that that you know honestly have to be addressed uh, and can leave you kind of feeling why am I here what am I doing and so the skipping the steps I, I, that could all be w- between your ears so if, if mm-hmm. you have evidence that that skipping the steps is impacting your credibility that is impacting your ability to serve and to lead and to fulfill your responsibilities if you've got evidence then seek supervision and support about how to address it. If you've got evidence, have conversations with people that say, hey, is there a legitimacy gap here that, that you're revealing in your conversation? If you've got no evidence, just, just proceed. I mean, just, just proceed. Uh, do, you know, lead where you are, contribute what you can where you are, and you know, leave the speculation and the, the misunderstanding about uh, skipping steps, leave it that between other people's ears, because once it's between your ears, then that just colors and clouds everything that you're attempting to do. 
Yep. And Brian, if I can just add to that, like the idea of like, oh, like you're such a good teacher. Imagine how many people you could impact. I'm like, well, no, no, like being a good teacher is just a piece of that. There's also a really important part of, yeah, that's great. But are you a great communicator, edu- like leader of, of adults? Like there's a million other things that go into whether if you're a great teacher and you step into a different role, that doesn't actually mean that you're suddenly now going to impact other kids. It might actually be the opposite if you don't have those other skills and the desire to do those mm-hmm. other things. Where if that and if that's the case, like we need to make it, it's perfectly okay if you go, no, I don't have the desire. I'm going to keep impacting these kids at a level that only I can do and as best as I possibly can do. Just because you move into a role where you talk to other teachers doesn't mean that you're suddenly now going to change all the, it's just not, some people really good at that. Some people, it's just not their forte. Some people love doing that. Some mm-hmm. people really don't. And so I, I think you're right, Brad. It's, it's so much between the, between, between the ears and, and understand. I'll go back to what you've pulled up in the other two questions, Brad, is what's the purpose? What's the purpose for your desire of, of, of making the jump? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always translate. That's for sure. Jeff, this is an important question. I'm going to throw it your way. What's going on with the Teach Better team? Jeez. What are we doing well, we're doing a conference, so that's going on. We are? Yeah, we're doing the Teach Better Conference in October. Uh, teachbetterconference.com for all that. I don't know when this episode's coming out, but we'll probably have at least started or be very quick soon to start uh, announcing keynotes yep. and other uh, special guests that are coming. So that's coming soon. Um, early bird pricing is still going on right now, so tickets registration are the, is the cheapest that it's going to be. We've got some live streams and stuff coming up announcing those um our speakers and celebrating with them. What else is going on? Habit Mastermind every Tuesday morning. Habit. Oh yeah, you know you mentioned that earlier about. Uh, I think it was Bobby that brought it up, right? Habit yep. Mastermind, the boxing group. So uh, teachbetter.com/slash admin mastermind. Is it or is it just mastermind? Um, it's on there. Uh, I should know that. It's ter- terrible. I don't know that. So that's yes. Get in there. What else we got going on? That's those are the big ones. Wednesday wake up every uh, Wednesday morning at seven a.m. Eastern time, and the Sunday warm up every Sunday evening at eight p.m. We've had an influx of awesome blog posts coming in from our guest bloggers, so a lot of lot of content to read over at teachbetter.com. But I think the biggest thing right now is definitely the conference. Uh, so come hang out uh, in October with us, uh, teachbetterconference.com for all of that, and let us know if you need to mock order as an administrator or yep. if you need letters to your admin or or need to pay by PO or any of that stuff we can accommodate you so and then make sure that you head over to podcast row and join Brad and I yes we take that space over again so excited about that not, not only to interact with podcasters but I benefited so much just from hearing the podcasters and interviewing uh you know the conferees and others like just you know these folks are the real deal. There's authenticity and there's such a desire to serve and contribute. It's, it's an awesome experience. 100%. My favorite conference by far, October 20th and 21st. Make sure you go over to teachbetterconference.com. We'll have the link in the show notes. Cannot wait to see everyone in person again. And if you're looking for a boost, I guarantee that that experience will get you ready for the following year. So thank you, gentlemen, both of you for joining me for the Aspire Mailbag. I'm so excited to get this published. And I know this is going to help a lot of folks that are going through that interview process. Great to be with you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you, brother.